Mark 11, 27 to 33. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is the word of God. I'm calling this sermon the voice of God. On January 21st in the year 1327, King Edward II abdicated or stepped down from the throne of the Kingdom of England. Uh, a bishop named Adam Orleton had been making a series of public allegations against King Edward II for outrageous, controversial behavior, including starting an unnecessary war, meddling in Parliament, and other scandalous personal conduct. Totally not something that would happen today. The crowds in London rose up and demanded Edward's removal, and when the Parliament convened in early January of 1327, they determined that he needed to be removed. They gave him the option to step down to abdicate upon the promise that his son would succeed him. And so on February 1st, 1327, Prince Edward became Edward III, King of England. This was the first time in history that England had a king that abdicated. That day, as Edward III ascended the throne, the Archbishop of Canterbury, which for those of you who aren't familiar with Anglican polity, that's like the, the main leader of the denomination through influence and authority, sort of like Mark Dever for Nine Marks. Um, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Walter Reynolds, gave a sermon titled Vox Populi Vox Dei, which is a Latin phrase that means the voice of the people, the voice of God. In other words, the collective will of the people should be seen as the highest authority, even higher than that of the King of England. This idea that the voice of the people is the highest authority is worth considering, and not just because of its political implications, but because of what it says about how we understand authority. The voice of the people is the voice of God. And I didn't choose this text just because I'm amongst Congregationalists. I actually think this is important to consider. Mark 11, 27 to 33 focuses in on a question about the authority of Jesus. It's front and center. And Mark, through this story, teaches us something about that Authority. We must surrender ourselves, firstly, to the one whose authority comes from God. Let me say that again. We must surrender ourselves, firstly, to the one whose authority comes from God. I think this passage then unfolds 
according to three questions. What is the origin of Jesus' authority? The question that they ask. What is the purpose of Jesus' authority? And so how are we to respond to Jesus' authority? Firstly, what is the origin of Jesus' authority? Uh, this is the question driving the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. They've been watching for a few days, wondering how it is that Jesus feels empowered to do the things that he's doing. The reader has some context, so let's consider it. Uh, if we read the part of chapter 11 just before our passage, we see that Jesus has done a few, uh, let's call them provocative things, uh, even outrageous things. In verses 1 to 11, he triumphantly enters Jerusalem. The crowds gather and shout, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. It was a grand spectacle. And the implication is that Jesus was entering as a king. The crowds are rising in support of him. It's a very troubling picture if you are someone invested in the status quo. Then, Mark tells us, he curses a fig tree, only to tell us a few verses later that it withered and died. Jesus apparently isn't just perceived of as a king, he has actual power. And in between, in verses 15 to 19, Jesus cleanses the temple. You might remember the story. Jesus wanders into the temple grounds in a fit of rage, driving out the salesmen, overturning the tables of the money changers, causing worry among the temple leaders. And so it makes sense then, when we get to our passage, the fundamental question of the chief priests, scribes, and elders is about Jesus' authority to do these things. It's right there in verse 28. The religious leaders ask him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? They confront him. And of course, they wanted to confront him. He's just challenged the domain of their authority. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't really answer, at least not directly. Instead, he confounds them by asking a question. Let me ask you a question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Here's the question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? It's actually a rather clever response. He forces them into a corner by asking a seemingly off-topic question. And yet, ironically, he answers their question. The answer to their question is the answer to his question. That is, John's baptism is either from heaven or from man, and so Jesus' authority is either from heaven or from man. Now, of course, the answer is clear to us. Mark, in his genius as a writer, gave us the answer all the way back in chapter 1. Mark introduced John the Baptist as the emissary of God, the one who prepared the way for God to return to his people. So remember back to Mark 1, verse 2. John is the messenger of God. And his authority is tied to the one for whom he prepared the way. It is even clearer just a few verses later in chapter 1. He notes, after me is one who comes that is mightier than I. And Mark fills out that that statement even more, noting where the mightier one draws his authority. Remember Mark 1, 9 to 11. God tears open heaven in order to reveal himself, speaking in his own voice. And what does he say? 
He identifies Jesus as his son. You are my beloved son. It's not just John's authority. But as we can see, Jesus' authority that quite literally comes from heaven. So for the reader of Mark, there's, there's no question as to where Jesus' authority comes from. And just in case it's not that clear, the narrator notes late in chapter 1 that Jesus teaches with authority like no other. In chapters 3 and 5, he exercises authority over unclean spirits. Chapter 4, as we saw, he demonstrates authority over the winds and the seas. The theme of authority culminates here in our passage. But the final four references to the word in Mark's gospel. These religious leaders wonder, but the reader doesn't. They ask the question, by whose authority do you do these things? But the reader knows the answer. The reader understands. Jesus has authority from God because he is God's son. Indeed, he is God. His authority is divine. But why? Why does it matter? If Jesus has divine authority, so what? It matters because his authority is directed to a purpose. You see, Jesus' authority is about more than just overturning temple tables and triumphal entries and miraculous healings and dramatic demon dismissal. It is more than these things, but it is not less. The question of the Jewish leadership is asking, uh, their, their question is about his authority in that temple scene. But because Jesus is divine, he has authority far beyond that to judge. His authority is not just to execute judgment, though. It's to effect salvation. Mark has been careful to answer the question of the purpose of Jesus' authority, again, also from the beginning of this book. This is important. We learned back in chapter 2 that Jesus' authority is tied to his priority, and his priority is to forgive sins. That's what he came to do. That's why he healed the paralyzed man, chapter 2 and verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. Indeed, I would suggest all of Jesus' miracles in this gospel are about confirming this most foundational truth. Jesus' authority is to judge, yes, even the temple people. But it's also for the purpose of healing. Not of infirmities and illnesses, but of the greatest problem that plagues all of humankind. His purpose is to heal sin. This is the gospel. This is the gospel, brothers. The greatest miracle Jesus performed was in rising from the dead, in which he won the forgiveness of sins. And so he claims the authority to forgive sins on that basis. You may all be pastors. You may all be church leaders. You may all be men of God. But on the chance that you don't actually believe this, you must know he rose from the dead. And it is on that basis that he has the authority to forgive sins. In the chapter just before our passage, Mark puts it like this. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Jesus put his authority to work. Not for him, but for his people. Giving his life that they and we might be forgiven. Now, knowing what the origin of Jesus' authority is, his identity as God, and its purpose to forgive sins, the third and final question becomes this. How then should we respond to his authority? Look back in the text. How did the religious leaders respond? They weighed their options. They did the most Anglican of things. They had a committee meeting. And in this crucial moment, faced with the Son of God who bears authority of God, they chose to say nothing. Very Anglican. Nothing. We don't know, they lamented. But let's be honest, they knew. They could have finally come to terms with believing in the ministry of John the Baptist and in doing so believed in the good news, the gospel of the very Jesus who stood before them. They could have made a decision to believe. They could have followed through with what they knew. But here's the thing. To do so would be giving up their authority as the religious leaders. They loved their power. And Jesus was a threat to it. He was, in fact, exercising his authority to sit in judgment on it. And yet, on the other hand, if they went against the will of the people, they would lose their power that way also. They lived in fear. They were between a hard place, a ridiculously fickle people, and a rock, the stone that the builders rejected. And what did they do? They chose to deny the authority of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with the vain hope of maintaining their own authority. In a tragic twist of irony, they chose the authority of man over the authority of heaven. They chose their own sinful voices over the voice of a holy God. And in so doing, they proved that the voice of the people is not actually the voice of God. The voice of the people is fallible. Just ask a group of Austinites to agree on the best barbecue in town. The voice of the people is fallible. But more importantly, vox populi, vox dei may be the basis of democracy, but it is folly when it comes to salvation. The religious leaders proved that man has no authority apart from God, no ability apart from God, no power apart from God. Mankind is helpless, and our only hope is in submission to the very voice of God. God made man our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it begs the question, how were we then going to respond to the authority of Christ Jesus? Well, let us first consider, as the leaders of God's people, as pastors and preachers and church leaders, let us first consider this. Remember, the opponents in this story are the religious leaders. They're the temple leaders. They are the religious establishment. And so we do well to think in these terms. Do we, as church leaders... Submit to the authority of Jesus Christ? Do we listen to and obey his voice, vox dei? I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of hearing about churches that set aside the scriptures, that wander away from the word, the very voice of God revealed. It's too easy to compromise the gospel these days because we care too much about what people think. 
It's too easy to give up our orthodoxy for popularity. Just ask the prosperity preachers. Fame and fortune are the folly of those who follow the voice of a fickle people, vox populi. Now let me be very clear here, because I like to make jokes. As much as you might expect me to and as much as I may want to, I'm not taking a shot at congregationalism here. The way you practice it does not separate the voice of God from God's people. That is, God does choose to exercise his authority through the church. But you know the church has no authority apart from God. And so you must, let me be very clear here, you absolutely must demand that your church submits to the voice of God, to the authority of Jesus Christ, vox dei. You must demand it, for without it, we not only miss out on his lordship, his authority, but what his authority is for, the forgiveness of our sins. So don't be like these religious leaders. Don't be the fickle people. Don't overthrow the authority of the king, not the king of England, but the actual king. Secondly, friends, we must also consider the authority of Christ Jesus as individuals. Where am I looking to for authority? To heaven? Fox Day? Heaven's testimony is clear. Jesus is God and has all authority in heaven on and earth. Or am I looking to man? Vox populi. And let's be honest. By that, we really mean ourselves. Am I the chief authority in my life? Too often, I'm like one of those religious leaders. I, I know the right answer. I might even say the right answer. I may even sing the words, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. But do I? Really? Do I? Do I really mean that? Now, I know that Jesus is Lord. I know that he has the authority. But I am also prone to wander and to equivocate and to dissemble. I may think of myself as one under authority, but too often I follow the authority of my own wicked heart. It's amazing. It's really amazing how fast I can become one of these religious leaders. How often am I asked what I do for a living, and I fail to answer that I am a minister of the gospel. I say nothing, or I say it so vaguely that I might as well have said nothing. Or when I'm asked about the issues of the day, I say nothing. When the topic turns to politics or to marriage or to sexuality or to any other subject of moral consequence, I say nothing. How often do we fail to say the right thing or do the right thing because we're more concerned for what people think than what God has said? And again, even beyond capitulating to others, how often do I fail to do what is right and do what is evil out of my own selfish desire? Is Christ Jesus our authority just when we're in church on Sundays, or do we choose to live like he has authority all of the other days? Because, brothers, we don't want to miss out on the blessing of being his people. Because, my dear brothers, it comes back to this. In our failures, Thanks be to God that Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive sins. And so, 
we must surrender ourselves to the one whose authority comes from God. We must. Because Jesus has divine authority, his purpose should have priority over our passions. Because Jesus has divine authority, his intention should have priority over our interests. Because Jesus has divine authority, his salvation already has priority over our sin. And because he has divine authority, his authority cannot be destroyed. It cannot be overturned. It cannot be undermined. It cannot be weakened. Even by the people, it cannot be destabilized. It cannot be challenged. And brothers, it cannot be ignored. May we, O Lord, come before you embracing your son, surrendering our wills because you have invested him with your authority. May we fall at his feet with these words in our hearts, words that we will actually live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you have given your Son all authority in heaven and on earth. You have given him the task of using that authority to become a servant of all, a servant of your people to give his life so that we may have forgiveness of sins. May we listen to his voice. May we be those who surrender to his voice. In the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.